hashtag blessed. That's like one of my favorite hashtags, I'm just saying. And uh, there's some fantastic hashtag blessed tweets that I would love to share with you right now. I got two pairs of shoes for $85 the other day, hashtag blessed. <laughs> blessed to be the number one scorer in the state, hashtag blessed. Lil Dave stay humble at Lil Dave Buster. <laughs> Whitney and I just flew past a state trooper going 90 and he didn't pull us over. Hashtag blessed, prayer hands. This was that. Learning all about the beer. Hashtag gratitude, hashtag friends, hashtag blessed. Yeah, you are hashtag blessed. You're learning all about the beer. Now, uh, I lost my wallet for all of half a day. The good news is my neighbor found it outside and returned it, but the bad news is all my cash is gone. <laughs> Still hashtag blessed, though. <laughs> Let me know. I had to look that up. I didn't know what LMK was. <laughs> Let me know how the semester I blacked out the most and spent every night at Lion, which I'm assuming is a bar, was the only semester in college that I got a 4.0. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> Backwoods life, got himself a buck, hashtag blessed. Is this what it means to be hashtag blessed? Next one, Jay. Shout out to all them people who out here are trying to get them millions, hashtag blessed. And uh, this, is, this is my next favorite one. Josh picked me up for a date to the Cheesecake Factory, and when I walked outside, he was sitting on the hood of the car, holding a dozen roses and playing Perfect by Ed Sheeran from his radio. Hashtag blessed. When you're about to leave the club and the DJ tells you to bring the homies back, then proceeds to play suavemente. What a great start to my birthday, y'all. Hashtag blessed. And probably my favorite. <laughs> Serving Yeti chic realness with my bestie. So hashtag blessed. Never stop believing. Hashtag unicorn. Hashtag matching outfits. Hashtag faux fur. Hashtag his is real. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. So who is actually blessed? I have a fair question to ask. I think it's the question that uh, Jesus would this morning like you to know how to answer. It's the question that I would like you to know how to answer. And there's all kinds of folks that talk about hashtag blessed, right? Hashtag blessed when I'm getting those millions. Hashtag blessed when I don't get pulled over by a cop. Hashtag blessed, one person wrote, uh, when they prayed for Chick-fil-A and then Chick-fil-A came to their city. Hashtag blessed. Like, what is it that makes you hashtag blessed? That's actually the question that Jesus is going to answer for us this morning as we dive into the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a question that I would like all of you to know how to answer. What does it actually mean to be hashtag blessed? If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up this morning to Matthew chapter 5. Now, before we can dive in, though, it's really important. Woo woo! It's really important that we understand what's going on before we engage with what Jesus is about to tell us. Uh, we're going to be looking at something called the Beatitudes this morning, which is um, probably one of the more well known passages of Scripture that we have in the Bible, but I think we don't always actually understand what's going on within, and the context really helps to set that up for us. So uh, I allowed you guys to watch that video from uh, uh, the Bible Project, which kind of explains the beginning of Matthew and what Matthew as a writer is trying to communicate 
to us in the way that he actually lays out his book. A lot of times we think these are just like, oh, some dude just sat down and wrote out the stories about Jesus and we're so glad that we got something. But now there's some real thought that went into what Matthew was doing and what he's trying to communicate. So at the very beginning, uh, we kind of get his birth narrative and, and, and he explains how he's fulfilling some of those prophecies that happened in the Old Testament. In chapter 3, uh, we find that John the baptizer, or John the Baptist, is the forerunner, okay? Because every king would have somebody who goes ahead of him and said, the king's coming, the king's coming. So that's what's actually happening with John the Baptist. He's saying the king is coming, all right? And then uh, John actually baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River, just as Israel had to go through the Jordan River to enter into the Promised Land. Again, Jesus is kind of this archetypal uh, figure, almost uh, uh, reenacting the story of Israel, but actually, for the first time, getting it right. So then after a testing of 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus starts his public ministry. This is what we find in chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. And uh, this is actually interesting because this is when Isaiah 9 gets quoted. Isaiah 9 was the passage uh, that we had been reading throughout our entire Advent series that was on the bumper video. You remember that? Uh, A great uh, light has come into the darkness. And uh, it actually talks about um, Isaiah 9, what I preached on a few weeks ago. Uh, that Jesus says that uh, initially when Assyria comes down and they conquer Israel, they started it in the north in Naphtali. And it says that one day a great light would come and it would start in Naphtali. And that's actually where Jesus begins his preaching ministry. So we see that in chapter 4. And then Jesus winds up calling his first disciples to follow him at the end of chapter 4. And then he goes around the region and he's teaching about the kingdom of God. that The kingdom has come near because the king has come near. And he shows this by healing all kinds of people, sickness and disease. He's casting out demons. He shows that he is more powerful than anything else, that he actually rules over the spirit realm and the physical realm. The king is finally here. And this is where we then actually pick up the story in chapter 5. All right? So let's read verses 1 through 2. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, now these are crowds that started following him because he had been healing people and teaching people, and so they're following him. It says, When he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. That's what teachers did, okay? When a teacher was going to speak, uh, in our culture we stand, (laughs) and you guys sit. In their culture, the teacher would sit down, and that would say, like, okay, now something important, the teacher's about to speak, he's about to teach. So Jesus sits down. It says, uh, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So this teaching is, in many ways, aimed at his disciples. But Jesus knows that there's all these other folks that are listening in. So he's teaching the disciples, but he's really talking about to everybody else that's there. And so this is what kind of Moses did when Moses got the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai. He went up a mountain, he got a word from the Lord, and he came and he brought it down to all the people. Jesus is showing that he is the better Moses. And so he has gone up on a mountain, and now he's about to deliver this sermon. And what we get, at least what we're going to look at this morning, is this first little piece. All right? Verse 3, chapter 5. Jesus starts off with these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called 
children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because you hang out and are associated, follow the king. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, blessed are, and there is this list, right? So we got to ask ourselves the question, what does blessed actually mean? What does blessed actually mean? I thought I saw somebody raise their hand like they were about to answer the question. I was like, well, okay, we, we, <laughs> we can do that, I guess. Uh, the word actually is a, a Greek word called makarios. I think there's going to be a little uh, thing up on the screen that will show you. Makarios means blessed, happy, and fortunate all at once. Okay, so there is no English word that actually captures kind of the full meaning. This is like one of those words that's like so thick with meaning, all right? So it has all these different ideas that kind of blend in together, fortunate, happy, blessed. In fact, um, some uh, translations use the word blessed, okay? That's what, in fact, beatitude comes from the uh, Latin word beatus, which just means blessed. And so that's what we often see, but there are some translations that actually say the word happy, happy are. The the struggle with that is that we don't use the word happy in in that way exactly. It's kind of like just when you feel good. And there's more than that. Another translation actually says, wonderful are those who... So there's just like this depth of meaning that comes in this word. But I want you to think of it being blessed, happy, and fortunate all at once. Now, Jesus lays out these values on the one side. And and I will admit that, man, I've done a lot of study um, on this uh, over these last couple of weeks. And I I thought that I kind of had the the Beatitudes nailed. Like, I felt like, I I get it. I understand what Jesus is saying. And the more that I studied, the more I realized, I don't know that I fully did. Uh, There's even some discussion as to whether these are things to pursue or whether these are not things to pursue. Some of them make sense, right? Like, I mean, it seems like a good thing to, like, hunger and thirst for righteousness. But, like, mourning, like, really? You want to be the one who, like, is super thrilled to be in mourning? And so what I found is that Jesus has some values. And remember, Jesus is setting up the whole rest of the teaching with this, okay? So we always have to keep that context in mind. The other context that we have to keep in mind is that these were all people that Jesus had just been teaching and healing. Now, if you get healed from something, it means that you were in need, in want. In fact, many people who are getting healed from things uh, were probably people who are kind of like the outcasts, right? They, they didn't fit in perfectly with the prevailing culture of the time. And Jesus, whenever he teaches, the way that he teaches is always uh, very, like, concrete. And so I have to imagine that when Jesus is actually teaching this, when he's saying some of these things, he's actually referring to actual people who are in the crowds. People that they would have known exactly, like, when he says poor in spirit, folks all might have been, like, turned and looked at homegirl over here or homeboy over here that Jesus had just healed that maybe had nothing to offer the world due to their situation. So Jesus has these values, and then he has these counter values. I'm going to throw them up on the screen here, and they kind of shock 
everybody. Jesus often did this. Uh, you can see um, poor in spirit, a countervalue would be self-confident, competent, self-reliant. Someone who mourns versus somebody who is pleasure-seeking, hedonistic. Maybe the beautiful people. Oh, Jesus is talking about me again. <laughs> but that's sometimes like how we feel, right? Like, which side do we fall on? The meek versus the proud, the powerful, the important. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness versus the satisfied, the well-adjusted. This is the practical. I would add the full. The merciful versus the self-righteous. Those who, who don't need anybody else because they just can take care of everything themselves. The pure in heart. Okay, you might also say the innocent. Okay? The naive versus the adult or sophisticated or broad-minded. The peacemakers versus the win-at-all-costs the aggressive, the persecuted because of righteousness, the adaptable, the popular, the don't rock the boat kind of folks. So as we talk about these things, we need to address something though. What is Jesus not saying first of all? Okay? What is Jesus not saying? So number one, Jesus is not saying how you get into the kingdom. This is really important. Because there's a lot of folks that they read this list and they think, well, I have to be one of those or all of those things and able to get into the kingdom, okay? This isn't a works-based thing, like if I do these things, if I become these things, that like that's my ticket in. That's not it at all. Jesus is not telling us how we get into the kingdom, all right? The other thing that he is not saying is that you have to become these things once you accept Christ, once you enter the kingdom, once you become a Christian, okay? Suffering and mourning don't make you more spiritual. However, and this is where there is this tension to hold. These virtues, right, these values are worth pursuing. But I've heard a number of stories, especially of men, who they hear these beatitudes and they think, man, I just like... I'll never be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. That guy feels soft and weak. I don't have nothing to do. Like, if that's what Christianity means, like, count me out. And they misunderstand what's actually taking place here. Now, you see, Jesus isn't saying, like, you have to become all of these things or you have to actually... Uh, somehow do them to get into the kingdom. What Jesus is saying is that as you enter the kingdom, that the Holy Spirit begins to do a work in us, and some of these things actually become something that we then eventually desire to engage in. You see, there's some things that I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus is not asking or not saying or not communicating with the Beatitudes, Jesus is actually pointing out, I believe, real people that are in the crowd at that moment. And he's saying to the disciples, look, you want to know who's blessed? You want to know who's actually blessed? People that engage with me. So what is he actually communicating then? What is Jesus actually communicating? Jesus is actually communicating who gets in. He's communicating who actually gets in. And it's not the people that they expected. (laughs) Quite honestly, it's probably not the people that we expect, right? In first century Judaism, this was the thought of the people who would have access to the kingdom, okay? 
A couple different things that would have been going on in, in, in uh, someone's mind who's sitting in the audience. Uh, first would have been the most spiritual or religious folks. Okay, so like the, the, the Pharisees, and there probably would have been some of those folks in there. Some folks who are hanging out, checking this Jesus dude out, like all these people are following him, what's up, we better, we better pay attention to this cat. So this would have been maybe like uh, your pastors, uh, maybe the Oprahs of the world, okay, the Gandhis, the, the, the religious of the world, right, the folks that have it all figured out, they never miss church, they always say grace before meals, right, like they, they, they must, that's who they would have been thinking about initially. Uh, they also would have been thinking about the wealthy folks, folks that are rich, okay? They must obviously be blessed by God because look at everything that they have. The other group of folks that they probably would have thought about is the people who knew the most or were the most connected. So God must be blessing them because look at what they do. Look at who they know. And Jesus comes in and he says, look, the, the folks that you wouldn't expect, The folks who live in those whole countries. Those are the folks who actually get in. Uh, but, but see, here, here's, here's the thing though. is I think we stop short of actually understanding the full thrust of what Jesus is saying here. You see, what, what we then assume is that it must only be the folks who like have a really bad go at life. Well, what about me? Like I kind of had a, a pretty decent upbringing. I had two parents. They stayed married until I was well out of the house. I felt like I had a pretty good upbringing for the most part. I like my life. Yeah, it's not perfect. It's things I'd like to change. There's, there's some things that I have mourned. There is sorrow and sadness. But, you know, for the most part. So it's like, well, hold up. Is it only for like the folks that have like a really rough go at it? You see, I think the other possibility that happens when we read this is like, well, man, I'm, I must have to have like a really bad life if I'm going to be able to experience the kingdom, like if that's who it's for. But that's, that's not it at all. The full point is that anybody can get in. That, that, that's what was shocking, that it's open to anybody, folks who live in the slums of Haiti or in a refugee camp in the Congo where nobody knows their name, nobody knows nothing about them, they don't have the education, they're not the smartest, Maybe, maybe the person that, that, that has uh, some sort of a, a, a disability, physical or, or developmental. Or, like, but what, 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 you know, what, what about them? Like, uh, are they really deserving? But, but it's not just them. It's also the folks that live in really large houses that are painted white with big columns out front that you get to live in for four or eight years. You see, that's what's also shocking. The kingdom is open to everyone. That that's what Jesus is actually communicating in the Beatitudes. And that would have been like a shocking thing for folks. Like, well, anybody gets in? Yes, anybody gets in. But the only way that we get in is through Jesus. That, that's what he was talking about, what Matthew says in chapter 4, verse 23, when he's actually sharing that Jesus goes around and he starts healing and he's pronouncing that the kingdom of God has come near. Why? Because the king has come near. That's why he says in uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because of me. You see, the point is that anybody can get into the kingdom through Christ. Now, the kingdom is here because the king is here. 
Jesus is here. This is the shocking truth that Jesus is explaining. I had no idea that President Trump was going to give me such a great illustration of what the kingdom of God is not like this past week. And like, let's be honest, you, you could put Trump, you could put Hillary, you could put Barack, you could put anybody in there, okay? Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to call out who it was. Somebody was at my house, and they left their subscription to People Magazine. People Magazine, right? Like, that's the beautiful people. Like, that's the folks, they got it together. Those are the folks that you would think, like, man, they've got the world by the scruff of the neck. I don't know what they got the world by, but they got the world by something, okay? Those folks can get in too, but it's not only open to those folks. And that's the beauty of the kingdom. So, here is where I think it gets a little bit difficult, though, because we're having all this talk about kingdom, but let's be honest, like, we don't talk about kingdom all that much in America, all right? Uh, we kind of know that there is this thing called the United Kingdom, the UK, right? And uh, we know it has something to do with England, <laughs> right? But we're not like, isn't that, well, what else is it, all right? Uh, uh, the, the pastor of the church that sent us out is from Wales, and so I know Wales is a part of it, and I think, like, I... Ireland, maybe, or part of Ireland, and Scotland, right? They're like, we don't know. We don't really care, right? We don't, like, we don't have this idea of kingdom anymore. And I think for us to understand, though, what Jesus is talking about when Jesus talks about kingdom, we got to, like, actually address this a little bit. Well, what, what does it actually mean? Well, uh, the kingdom idea is tricky, and I think it's tricky for two reasons, okay? Number one, it's upside down. Everything is turned upside down in Jesus' kingdom. That's one of the reasons that understanding or engaging or desiring to be a part of the, that kingdom is so difficult for us because everything that we think we know seems to be backwards, right? The, the first will be last and the least among you is the greatest among you and, and you actually uh, really are living when you're dying to self. Like, like, like what Jesus presents is, is difficult, and it's really disorienting. There, there are these glasses uh, that somebody made. I think they made them like 100 years ago. They literally turn everything in your world upside down. It's like this prism, and so you see everything upside down. Now, here's what's crazy. Uh, when we're born, uh, the lenses in our eyes actually take the images that we see, and then as it comes through the lens, it's flipped upside down. You actually literally see everything upside down. But what happened is your brain, because it's really awesome, because God designed it to be really awesome, is able to eventually flip that image, and now we all see right side up. But the actual image that you're seeing right now is upside down, okay? Your brain just figured out how to flip it so that everything's right side up, and these glasses flip it back. There are some guys that uh, I wanted to actually buy a pair of glasses, but I, they're like 200 bucks and I couldn't buy you all a pair of glasses so you could experience this. So you're just going to have to watch a video about it. But watch this video, somebody who's wearing these glasses, and what happens. And to start with, a simple task that any child could do. It's so weird. My hand is just, you know, disembodied. Is it? Is it? It's back to square one. I'm going to have a new admiration for babies now when you see them playing and trying to stack them. <laughs> there is a great gaping fridge there. And I can't work out how to get my hand in 
Everything that normally happens automatically is now a real struggle. You have to think about what you're seeing, work out where things are, and then move your hands. It makes you realize how even the simplest movements depend on accurate guidance from our eyes. Where is my hand? At first, anyone entering this strange upside-down world has the hand-eye coordination of a toddler. But after a few hours, there are signs of improvement. Back in the 60s, uh, there was a psychology professor that did an experiment with a young gal uh, there at the school, and she wore the glasses, I think it was for like two weeks straight. And uh, at first, everything was incredibly tough, but what happened is her brain actually flipped. And she was able to then ride a bike and do all the things that normal people do because her brain had flipped, and she was able to now turn everything right side up. And then after two weeks, she took them off, and everything was upside down. Can you imagine not having the glasses on and seeing everything upside down? It took her about an hour for her brain to flip back, and she said all of a sudden it just did. And it was like, oh, everything's fine now. Interesting, right? See, living in the kingdom of God, though, when we begin to engage with it, when we begin to actually trust that what he says is true and it's real, it's disorienting. It's really disorienting because everything else around us Everything that we've kind of grown up in, that we live in, says it ought to be this way. When in reality, what Jesus is saying is, no, this is true. It's truer than the reality that you actually are experiencing. And if you will learn to live in it, to engage in it, to continue to push into it, trust it, believe it, you'll begin to see. You'll begin to see that it is the more beautiful. Now, the, the second reason that I think the kingdom idea is tricky is this. It's real and near, but only if you engage with it. Uh, there's a show um, called Stranger Things. Some of you guys may have binge-watched it, like me. Uh, they have a, a concept in the show called the Upside Down. I think there's a picture uh, of Eleven. Uh, you can see on the top half of her brain is like normal things, and then underneath it's like some kind of crazy. Well, that, in, in the show, there is this, this idea that there is an alternate reality called the Upside Down, and just like uh, it, it, it looks a lot like the real world, but really messed up, okay? It's kind of like the anti-kingdom of God, all right? Instead of everything being right <laughs> and beautiful, everything is like more broken and, 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 and more wrecked and, 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 and not right. And, and the upside down, if you're actually in it, it's still very real. You can actually even kind of hear echoes of what's happening in the real world. And, and same thing for those in the real world. can every now and then hear echoes of what's happening in the upside down. It's near, but you actually have to go through a portal to enter it. N.T. Wright says this, and I love it. It's so good. It says, so when do these promises, these blessings, come true? There is a great temptation for the Christian to answer in heaven after death. This, though, is a misunderstanding of the meaning of heaven. Heaven is God's space, okay? Where full reality exists, close by our ordinary earthly reality and interlocking with it. One day, heaven and earth will be joined together forever. And the true state of affairs at present, out of sight, will eventually be unveiled. 
That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. And these Beatitudes, in particular, they are a summons to live in the present in the way that will make sense in God's promised future. Do you understand that? Let me look. It's a way to make sense of the future. You actually take the future, living there, and when you begin to live it out in the present, you drag the future into the present. It's crazy. You begin to experience heaven, the future, now here on earth. Keep going with me. They are a summons to live in the present in the way that will make sense in God's promised future because that future has arrived in the present in Jesus of Nazareth. It may seem upside down, but we are called to believe with great daring that it is, in fact, the right way up. Try it and see, he says. So you want to know who's hashtag blessed? It's the person who gives themselves to Christ in full trust without reservation. Let me say that again. If you're a note-taking kind of person, this is the thing to write down. The person who is actually blessed is the person who gives themselves to Christ in full trust without reservation. Will it feel disorienting at first? Yeah, it probably will. But will it lead to a greater, more beautiful, amazing, full life? Yeah, I promise you it will. But it will require faith. And it's open to anybody who will seek it. It doesn't matter where you come from, where you came from, what you've done, what you're doing, what people have said about you how much you have or how little you have, it's open to anybody who wants it. Uh, there is a uh, guy, his name is Dr. Larry Richards, and he said this, and, and I love this quote. He said, when people of any age realize in Jesus the kingdom is near to them, they are free to abandon themselves totally to God's will, confident that as they obey, he will act to shape events. Anybody who seeks, anybody who wants in can get in. That's, that's the shocking truth of the Beatitudes. Jesus lays out the Beatitudes as a way to set us up for everything else that's going to come. We enter by trusting that Jesus is truly who he says he is, that what he says is true, and we abandon ourselves to him. Uh, it's kind of like being in a dream. You know when you're in a dream, okay, and you can kind of like remember it? Like if something's chasing you, like you run away, but you can't run. Like it's the worst thing ever, right? Like, ah, I gotta get out of here, and I can't. Like you're like so slow, and you like run. Wouldn't it be awesome though if we could like control our dreams, right, and be like, it's just a dream. This crazy monster's coming after me. I don't even care. I'm gonna turn around. I'm gonna be like, what's up, bro? Come at me now. What, what you gonna do? Kill me, it's a dream. I got nothing to lose, right? It reminds me of, uh, it, this is actually, this is for some of you video game nerds. This is the 25th anniversary of NBA Jam. Oh, yes. One of my favorite video games of all time. It's like two-on-two, basketball, all right? And one of the things that would happen, if you got 
three baskets in a row without the other team getting any, you would get, they would say, he's on fire. And your ball, every time you had the ball, it would like be on fire. And then you could do crazy, stupid stuff. Like you could literally just get a rebound and throw it from like full court and, and you'd make a three-pointer. Uh, you could dunk from like the three-point line. You'd like go out of the screen, do a bunch of flips and come to, pow, and they couldn't do anything. Like it was crazy. Like you couldn't do anything about it. Like if you were on fire, you couldn't miss. You were going to win. Like, once you're in the kingdom, you're on fire. You, you, you got a credit card that has no limit. It might feel upside down at first, but the more you engage, the more you live in it, the more you trust Jesus and believe Jesus and actually pursue these things that God calls us to pursue, the more you will begin to experience that you've got a credit card with no limit, you can do anything you've won. And when you truly believe that, then you get to live life without fear. You know who gets in? The drunkard, the pornographer, the rapist, the person who has been exploited, the one who has nothing and the one who has everything Nobody gets in because of who they are or what they've done, but the invite is open to anybody who's willing to seek and trust and believe. That's, that's the shocking, crazy, beautiful truth of Jesus and his kingdom. Let's pray. God, I'll admit um, when I say the word rapist, I don't like it. I don't like any of those negative things um, because you don't like them and you are against times when people are exploited. God, I will admit that uh, I, I have probably not always thought really well about even how I live my life and there's probably ways that I have consumed things or treated people, um, God, that you have not been happy with. I, I'm a sinner, Lord, and you know that even better than me. God, every single one of us are. Jesus, I'm so glad that sinners get in. God, I know that uh, it's not because of anything that I've done. And God, I'm glad that uh, um, a white kid from Flint and his black brother from Cabrini Green in Chicago, that both of us get in. God, I'm glad that, that the door is open uh, to folks in, in Haiti and El Salvador and Africa, and it's also open to, to folks who live in the White House. God, I'm glad that the, that the, the playing field is, is level at the foot of the cross. And that, Jesus, anybody can enter it by coming to you. Jesus, as we enter your kingdom by believing in you, by putting our trust in you, by abandoning ourselves to you, Jesus, uh, you know how disorienting it may be to live in this upside-down kingdom at first. God, would you help us to be people who see with your eyes, who experience life 
through the truth of your word that we might grow stronger and more sure of who you are and what you do. Thank you, Jesus, for this teaching. As hard as it may be as we move forward, Jesus, we trust that you are real. Make our lives to reflect that more and more. God, make our church to reflect that more and more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys. I can't wait to continue digging in to this chunk of scripture. It's going to be so good over the next number of weeks. Uh, It's going to be challenging. It's going to be tough. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be fun. We'll see you guys next Sunday. Students, don't forget Rosa Parks Circle. It's going to be so good. Have a great week. We'll see you guys next Sunday.